What is going up, everybody? This is Philip from Altcoin Buzz, and today we have a very special guest with us, Uni Banker, the founder of the security token Blue. How are you doing today, Uni? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing fantastic, Uni. Thank you so much for being on the show. The Altcoin Army really appreciates it. Um, so to get started, how did you get involved into cryptocurrency? So I got in it from a very technical perspective. Uh, I, you know, I find it very interesting to kind of play around with new and emerging technologies. Just as someone with a lot of background in programming and working with sort of bleeding edge stuff, I always find it interesting to kind of play around. And after I spent a little bit of time reading through what was actually the original Bitcoin source code and understanding the economic realities and implications that could come later on, uh, it really just seemed like a no-brainer to kind of do a deeper dive. And as things have evolved, it's become clear that cryptocurrency is not just about money. It's actually also very much about building a new application stack for software developers. So that's very interesting in its own right. Yes, definitely. And what year was this that you first got involved? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. I mean, I, it was like a couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago. Okay, because um, a lot of our viewers, they... Um, got involved in cryptocurrency in the beginning of November and December. So right now, mm -hmm. they are feeling a little down because of the market. Do you have any tips of advice you could maybe tell some of the newer investors about the market, what's going on with it right now? So I guess what I would say is you look at things like the, the price of a commodity, you know, maybe you're looking at wheat or something like that, and the downturns, what they represent is a lack of demand. Uh, but in cryptocurrency, it's really about speculation, largely at, at this stage, because this is a new and emerging technology. So it's important to understand that this is not about a lack of supply or, or a different level of demand. Uh, what this really is about is sort of just fluctuations in the market. And these are going to come and go. They'll continue to happen for a while because we're not actually trading wheat here. We're speculating on ideas and technology. So the safest thing that I think someone could do is first of all, don't sell when it's when you know things are crashing. That's that's not don't don't uh, sell low, buy high. That's not the right strategy. But secondly, understand the technology, and that's really key. If you understand, for example, what Ethereum smart contracts are, and there's a downturn, you know it doesn't really matter because you believe that Ethereum smart contracts will continue to be a thing as they improve uh, the Ethereum nodes, that, that implementation, it'll be easier and faster to transact with these programs. So one day you may see, instead of Facebook holding all your data and you know mining your messages to serve you ads, we all own our data. And that's enabled by smart contracts. So that future, that technological change and that shift where everyone owns their data is so much more important than any minor blip in the market or, or even a crash in the market. Because long term, this stuff is set to grow. That's exactly what we've been saying on our channel a lot. It's a year-long game. It's a couple-year-long game. So please, viewers listening, do not worry about this correction that's happening. It is only healthy. And you heard it's going to get better um and now a little bit about your project i i love your project because it's about protecting people can you explain to us what really made you decide to start your own ico and company sure 
so we actually never did an ICO. This is a, a community-driven uh, airdrop effort. Um, but aside from that, to answer your question, the, the bottom line is I think people have been sort of fed up with the banking system. Uh, maybe that's an understatement. Uh, people are very frustrated with the traditional banking system. Uh, in 2008, you know, these derivatives traders not crashed not just the U.S. market, but the whole global economy uh, by basically gambling on bad mortgages knowingly. So we all kind of see, we've all been feeling the pain of centralized financial control and just getting ripped off by the banks for years, for decades, right? So for the first time, here comes cryptocurrency. Here's an option where we no longer have to depend on banksters, right? We can actually own our destiny. We we control our funds ourselves. And that is just a huge shift. So for me, that's extremely exciting. We can finally do away with the banking system or at least give it a major upgrade and control our money uh, ourselves. So when you take a look at it and you start digging in and then you find every single day there's some scammer out there. There's a there's another token that's stealing everybody's money. There's, oh, it's an ICO, but then they just kind of ran off with millions of dollars. It's it's just kind of like, man, we have this opportunity and you guys are ruining it for everybody and you're scaring people off. So what is the solution? Well, it's a digital system. There's a digital solution. So that's kind of the the origin story. Of, of how these dots sort of connected in my mind and I said, you know what, let's build a anti-scam uh, fraud prevention framework that is not just for us. It's not just us as investors. We're going to use it. We're going to distribute to everybody. So you have people that can't read a smart contract, but they want to be involved. Well, we can at least tell you if there are flaws in the smart contract. We can give you an idea of whether or not this is a trustworthy investment to some degree. You know, we're not trying to give investment advice. We're just trying to make sure that people aren't getting ripped off. So that's kind of how that came together. Yeah, security is very important in any project. How common is it for uh, software to have malicious code written into their platform? Uh, well, I don't just want to throw out numbers. Um, most of the time, honestly, it's, it's not like half the time or a third, it's like 90% or above of, of these tokens are either written poorly or maliciously, or the, you know, it's just a template that was cut and pasted and the team just bounces right after they get some money. I mean, it's, it's the majority of the time we're, we're going to have this part of this correction is sort of shaking out a lot of these, uh, you know, phony tokens and people that don't actually have the skills to build what they're talking about. Okay, so explain your blue wallet. So the blue wallet is a test bed for our product, which is an SDK. That's a software development kit. So what that enables people to do is actually blacklist bad addresses. Uh, we're implementing a reputation system so that people can uh, evolve over time and wallets can become uh, you know, viewed as suspicious or known malicious or uh, you know, some, someone creates a brand new wallet. What we want to do is at the moment of transaction, make sure that the person that is sending funds, sending tokens or ether or whatever it is, knows who they are sending it to and knows that it is a safe address. So a, a very common example of a flaw might be some sort of, uh, man in the middle attack where you go to cut and paste an address where you're trying to send to this ICO, but 
you've had the content of that web page to replace with, with some malware, and now you're actually getting a slightly different address, and you don't know the difference. But if you're using our wallet and you try to buy into that ICO, we might know the difference, right? At some point, we're going to realize, someone will realize that this is a, a blacklisted address. This is a hacker. And for days, they'll go on receiving funds if they're not stopped. So we're able to blacklist those kind of addresses. We have some artificial intelligence in the works that not only will be able to blacklist addresses that are proven to be bad by the community, but are suspicious. So a suspicious address that it doesn't seem like this is actually a legitimate address here. So we can kind of preemptively uh, warn people about that stuff. And we're not going to hard stop them from sending funds, but we are going to make it clear that they're taking a risk. So that is that is the overall overview of what we're doing with the wallet. But to be clear, it's really what our SDK does. The wallet is more of a demo. We, we in, uh, intend to implement the SDK in as many third-party wallets as we can and eventually into exchanges as well. Okay, so that is free. Um, what benefits do people get when they are involved in your project? So the benefit basically comes from the utility of the token. So we actually use the token to perform some of this work. A lot of this is happening on the blockchain. Actually, almost all of it is. So when you hold a token, you're able to actually execute against these contracts. You're able to get access to the blacklist. Um, for example, if you try to send to you know the Ether Delta hacker, for example, if you try to do that on our wallet, uh, and you don't have any of our tokens, that functionality no longer works. The token is actually part of the system, uh, part of the code executes on that token. So you need, I think it's about $15 worth of tokens. It's not very much. I mean, it's no more expensive than like a, a antivirus or something like that. Once you have the token, you're actually able to execute all of this code and you don't spend it necessarily, but you have to hold it. Uh, we have some features coming later, like I said, some of the AI stuff, where it actually does cost gas. It's, it's actually something we call scan gas internally, where if you want to do a new scan using our artificial intelligence on the blockchain of an unknown address, that is the only case so far where you're going to have to spend a little bit of the token. Okay. So the benefit is to get all these security features. And it, the blacklist, so is there a certain place a person would have to go to access that blacklist or is it just available on your wallet if you hold tokens so we actually have no uh publicly visible blacklist it is only shown in the form of uh, preventing you from sending a transaction and that is a very deliberate decision to make sure that people who are on the blacklist uh, can't detect that automatically. So they can't bot around what we're doing uh, without basically having some of our token. Uh, so, you know, if, if someone is trying to send spam email, for example, you don't bounce back and say, hey, we detected that you sent spam. You just silently put it in the spam folder. This is kind of a, a standard practice in the anti-malware industry and the anti-spam industry. Yeah, if the hackers aren't aware that they've been blacklisted, they're not going to make changes to prevent themselves from being blacklisted. I love that. That's right. Um, so your wallet is currently in beta mode, and on your roadmap it says this year in 2018 it's going to go into alpha mode. Um, do you have a time frame where your wallet might mm -hmm. go into alpha mode? Uh, so I think you mean uh, when it comes out of beta, right? Yes. 
Yeah. So when it comes out of beta, it's basically going to be when we feel that we've had peer review of the source code. So step one to actually getting there is to release the source code with great documentation, with uh, sort of a quick start, how someone can build it on their own machine and all these aspects of the technical side that have to be fully fleshed out. Because we understand the source code because we wrote it. But to bring it to a brand new programmer, we want to make it very easy for them to dig in, you know, try to find flaws, try to find problems. And only after we've had sort of uh, you know, some peer review where people can say safely, I, you know, this is sound code. We all sort of agree. We, we've all tried to break it. No one's really having any success. Or if we did manage to break it, here's the issue. Let's fix it. Right. So we want that period of time to have passed before we take it out of beta. Um, so step one is to open source it with all that documentation. And that's coming, I guess, about ne next month or so. Okay. It's a moving timeline a little bit, but I'm thinking sometime next month is probably when it'll be done. Wow. Uh, that's just an estimate. And uh, um, this is for all ERC-20 tokens, so they're not going to have to have a million wallets anymore. Your wallet's going to be the main wallet for the majority of the tokens. Yeah, that is what we're working towards today. The current beta that's on the Chrome store only supports, I think, the top 10 at some certain time. But we're adding more. Um, one of the things that we're doing today, uh, we're going to let people actually uh, submit new tokens uh, to the central repository so they can provide a graphic and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. You know, But long term, we do want to be able to support every single ERC-20 token, even ones that aren't listed. Maybe it's not even on CoinMarketCap. You deploy a token to the blockchain, and ideally, it would just be compatible immediately. Wow. Is... Um, there are going to be capabilities where this could sort of replace my Ether wallet. So if you wanted to participate in ICOs, you could just send your tokens from your blue wallet instead of putting it into my Ether wallet. Yeah, so that's probably the biggest driver of designing the wallet the way we have is we've seen probably the safest way, at least in the software stack, without using a hardware wallet, to invest in an ICO or to fund an account with tokens is you have to connect metamask with a bridge to my ether wallet and then you go to the website and if you're not using metamask you're cut and pasting keys and then you put in a contract address and it's this huge complicated thing that we've just turned into a single button you you click one button and then you send the token you don't have to connect metamask you don't have to paste a private key you don't have to go to my ether wallet none of these things become necessary anymore and it becomes so easy to do and so safe that I just can't imagine anyone needing my Ether wallet at some point. Exactly. And um, I know you guys are here to protect people, and you're working very diligently on security of your wallet. I know there is always a possibility of hacks. Can you just reassure the audience of what you guys are doing to prevent from hacks on your wallet? So there's a very long technical response to that. Um, <laughs> I guess the short version is because we're not just saving your data in an easy to read fashion with, with basically malware attacks. So let me give you an example of what is unsafe. What is very unsafe is to save a private key in a text file on your computer or in a PDF or whatever, or even to print a private key. Because once someone has your private key, they have your entire account. And there's all kinds of malware that will detect keystrokes. So every time you type a letter, if you try to type in your private key, it'll pick it up that way. 
There's malware that will read from your hard drive and scan and look for something that looks like a private key and send it off to an attacker. So that's kind of the, the biggest threat is losing that private key. So what's very unsafe is to ask the user to type it in or to ask the user to cut and paste it, or to store it for the user in plain text. So we're very, very careful about never doing any of that. We never show the user their private key. Uh, you can't restore from a private key. We just don't even operate on that level. So that's probably the biggest thing, because it is the most common way to get hacked. And then there's you know thousands of best practices and standards that come from the traditional payments world uh, and as a former Visa developer, I'm, I, I'm knowledgeable of all these things and I can bring them over. Uh, and the rest of our team is also very experienced um, and, and just follows the best practices that uh, shamefully the rest of these wallets don't follow or don't know to follow, unfortunately. <laughs> of course, yeah. It's, it's just this is such new technology. A lot of people, they're just winging it right now because there's really not been a lot of research in this market yet. Which brings me to my next question. What advice would you have for the audience that wants to start a project if they think they have an idea that will solve something? How did you just take the first step? What did you do? So for me, it was really all about, can we do the things that we want to do? Or is it possible? Do we have the capability to do it? If you can't confidently answer those questions, you need to take a step back and maybe maybe don't go raise an ICO for $20 million just yet. We, we have too many people doing that. So for me, it's all about producing that proof of concept. You don't need a final version of what it is you're trying to build, but at least demonstrate, at least to yourself, that you can by, by doing a simplified version. So we modified the Ethereum uh, Go client uh, called Geth. If you ever run a full node, you might run Geth. We modified that node to make sure that static analysis and a couple other things were going to be possible before we even started this project. And after confirming it, we were like, okay, let's pull the trigger and start actually building this. Wow. So first step, proof of concept. That's what I'd say. Proof of concept. That's great because we have comments all day long if people say in their ideas, but how many people are actually going to do it? And that's what we're here to do is try and you know, tell people, if you got a great idea, let's get going and let's start doing it. This is for ERC-20 tokens. Let's say like the NEO platform gets a lot larger in the next few years. Are you guys thinking about possibly going on to other platforms? Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is, you know, today this is a very Ethereum-focused company. Uh, that is because Ethereum is the uh, largest platform for smart contract development or I guess Bitcoin is technically, but their smart contracts aren't Turing complete and they don't they can't really do quite as much and it's also harder to make mistakes for that reason. But we're focused on Ethereum just because it's a market leader, but we see this as more of a blockchain-focused effort and that means any blockchain or, or even things that aren't technically blockchains like some of these new um, you know, tangles and I forget what you call them, the DAGs and all these kind of new projects. We're interested in all that because all that helps contribute to the mission of decentralizing software, decentralizing control of currency, and we still need to make sure that that is all secure and safe. So would it be just Blue on a different platform, or how would you guys go about you know, naming the project? Would it just be Blue on a different platform? Or Yeah, I think that's really... Uh... That's a good question. It's something that we would need to think about and, and answer at the time, you know, when we're ready to release something like that. 
and thinking about it from a branding perspective, you know, I still think it'll always be this brand to, to some degree. It just may have a different, you know, product name, I guess is the way to look at it. Okay. And then I know you mentioned this briefly, the software development kits. Um, can you explain the software development kit? So let me start with a software development kit, what it is a little bit. So a software development kit is basically a set of common tools that an engineer that isn't super familiar with what we do and the details of how it all works can actually integrate with it into their own application. So it's maybe something like um, you've got an experienced person who is very good at building their software. Maybe their software is a wallet. Maybe it's an exchange. doesn't really matter. What they'd like to also do is check in with our blacklist. They like to run our artificial intelligence on the chain. They may not have artificial intelligence experts. Okay, They may not have their own blacklist, so they want to borrow ours. So one way to do that is to write a whole lot of code and you know get on a call with us every day, back and forth, multiple times per day, trying to figure out how to work with it. Another option is that we produce a standard set of documentation, and we explain exactly how to use it, and we provide what's called a common interface, an API actually, that allows them to just make a couple of simple calls, get the information back that they need, and then act on it in their own software. So this is, an SDK basically extends what they're building, and it extends it with our kind of functionality, and it also extends it with a requirement, which is that they need to have blue tokens. That is, that's awesome. Speaking of coders and development, I've heard that there's not very many developers or coders for blockchain technology yet. Have you guys ran into any problems finding coders? Um, I would say yes, except we have a very good solution for it, which is the same solution I've used in my past companies. And it's that we find people with talent and a high level of intelligence and some degree of experience and we get them to learn what we need them to learn. Because if someone is intelligent and if they work in the tech field, they're probably learning every day. And every six months, they may completely change programming stacks. So it's, it's really not that odd to say, hey, we're going to start this new project. It's in this programming language. You know, Take the week and, and pick it up to get versed in it. And then over the next few weeks, we'll build sort of a little test application. And once you feel comfortable, we'll move on to the main thing. So, you know, a lot of people, you look at a resume or, or what a recruiter is looking for, they list that you have to have six years experience with Ethereum. Well, Ethereum isn't that old. So, I mean, it's, it's really all about learning and being uh, quick and, and being intelligent. So I haven't had a problem with it for that reason. People who are having a problem with it are basically looking for that, that six years of Ethereum experience, which is just nonsense. Exactly. This is such brand new. We're, we're the pioneers of the blockchain technology. Um, That's right. And then what would you say your long-term goals are for Blue? So long-term, you know, what we'd really like for Blue to become is a sort of layer of technology that everyone has to use or everyone chooses to use because it's a smart thing to do for every wallet in the world, for every exchange in the world, and for every transfer that takes place in cryptocurrency we want to be there in the middle to say you are safe, that you are sending it your funds to who you think you are sending them to. And that's basically it. I mean, that's what we're looking to do. Let's 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 make sure that when people send money, it gets to who it gets to. And it's supposed to get to. And 
there are other features, and I can't talk about all of them, the you know, specific features that we really are excited to build upon. Uh, one we've talked about a bit publicly is 2FA, is two-factor authentication. Uh, this is something that doesn't exist in blockchain tech, at least not in a decentralized way. Uh, but we have a solution for that. We have a lot of other ideas and a lot of other developments and designs that are coming soon that allow us to become sort of like an alternative to Visa on the blockchain. So that's kind of our long-term goal. And then, um, you know, since this is pretty revolutionary, I don't see many projects that are like yours. Do you guys have any concern about knockoffs trying to do the same thing that Blue is doing right now? Um, anybody that's trying to, you know, knock off what we're doing, uh, I, I think the use of that term leads me to believe that maybe they're not actually capable of it. So, uh, I'm not worried about that, I guess. So your question, I think the intent is to ask, are there real competitors who can actually compete with us? Exactly. And so far, the answer is a very strong no. Long term, I would say, you know, Visa themselves will become a competitor. Um, the only reason I'm not really worried about them is because incumbents do tend to fail during times of revolution. You know, I think Visa is going to go the way of Blockbuster because they have an incentive to keep the current power structure so they can take 3.2% of every transaction you make with a plastic card. They're not going to like crypto for that reason long term, especially as it starts eating into their profits. So they're going to push back. They're going to pretend to embrace it. And over time, they'll eventually fail. So I'm not that worried about Visa. I'm not that worried about the knockoffs. Uh, if people do come into the market and try to do something similar with a very strong team, I, I hope they do. Right? I, I want competition. I think competition is healthy. If we're the only people out there doing it, you know, what reason do we really have to push ourselves to do the best we can do? I mean, it's, it's, it's just the marketplace. Right, so the the better, the stronger the competition, the stronger the product. So I'm not worried, uh, at least not yet. <laughs> if someone comes along with something amazing that's you know really well funded, uh, we may have to reprioritize some of our things on our end to stay competitive. But that's just business. Exactly, it's all competition, and competition, like you said, makes people better because if it it's does. either surviving or dying, usually they're going to survive. <laughs> right. Um, is there any other tidbits of information you'd like to get out there to the public? So, assuming this is released on uh, Wednesday, Wednesday. Uh, take a look at our website because we've got some news today um, that I think you'll all find pretty interesting. We haven't talked about it in depth here, but head on over to etherblue.org. Uh, take a look at what we've got posted there. Um, and see what you think and let us know. And uh, yeah, that's it. Perfect. And then um, if you guys follow through exactly how I'm expecting you guys to, this is going to be a giant company working with every coin. Where do you think you guys could see yourselves on the coin market cap listing? Like what number is your goal? <laughs> um, I'm going to leave that up to you to speculate on. <laughs> Okay, perfect. So you guys right now, because this market's crashing, everybody's freaking out. Are you guys still, you know, staying positive, working hard, or what's going on with that? Well, uh, you know, off the record, uh, is this a is this a off the record question? Yeah, yeah. If you <clears throat> want it to be, definitely. 
it's not that important, I guess. I just don't want to talk about price too much uh, on any kind of public information uh, out there. I, I don't want to be seen as giving investment advice because it's yeah. really not what I do. But I mean, for us, it's kind of like the market always goes down and then it goes back up and it bounces around and sometimes it crashes hard and sometimes it pops out of control and I almost don't even care. I mean, it's not really affecting my buying and selling activity because all I'm doing is holding like forever. right? Exactly. So I don't really care that much. I don't even pay that much attention to it, except that people bring it to my attention because they're concerned. Um, the positive side effects of this downturn is that people have kind of stopped asking a lot of, uh, you know, oh, can we get an update? Can we get an update? Can we get, when are we going to be on another exchange? All these kind of repetitive questions. They kind of stop asking that stuff because they're so worried about what's happening to Bitcoin. So they get off my back for a little while, which is great, because then I can focus on the code, which is what I really need to do. So you know, off the record, I mean, it's it's kind of a positive for me, but I'm sure there's many, many people out there who don't feel very positive right now. Yeah, uh, um, That's unfortunate for them. Th thank you for sparking this idea. Um, I know that you guys are listed on Ether Delta. What do you guys think about that exchange? I know that they did get hacked. What about a coin that you offer, do you guys make sure that the exchange has plenty of security so your token doesn't get affected? Yeah, that's a really difficult question because uh, exchanges largely are not open source. Even Ether Delta isn't actually open source. That's it's a real shame because they pretend to be open source, but it's actually just lip service. What they have on their GitHub is minified source code, which if you're a programmer, you know that that means that's not the source that, that I mean, that's almost like compiled code. It's unreadable. Uh, so they're not even open source. So you can't really do an audit, you, you know, coin exchange. We also trade there. They're not open source. Um, you know, they're a centralized exchange, so that's fine. I mean, that's their prerogative to keep their trade secrets to themselves and to keep their source code and their IP to themselves. Every exchange is like that. You know, right? this is a competitive market. It's just for the same reason. We don't have access to the chase JP Morgan website source code. So you can't audit the exchanges right now. They need to be open source. So that's something that needs to change in the future. And these decentralized exchanges and solutions like 0x are going to get us there, I think, I hope. Um, but yeah, we just do the best we can right now. We, you know, we get listed on these exchanges. We hope they're doing their job. We don't know that they are. Ether Delta, uh, I'm not sure what's going on over there. They were hacked at the same time that they had a change of management. Uh, Zach, the the guy who wrote it, if you look at his GitHub, uh, sometime in December he completely stopped contributing and moved right over to a different project. And since then, you know, Ether Delta, I don't know what's going on. They, their official Twitter it was was suspended. The the CEO that they tagged in their tweets was not a real person. It was like a fake photo and a fake name. I don't trust anybody there. Fortunately, it's decentralized and the source code to the smart contract actually is available. So you can still trade, but if you see a big update from Ether Delta, I would be sort of suspicious. You know, if it suddenly looks different, yeah. I'd be suspicious. And it, the real way to protect your security is just to put it on a wallet, not to keep yeah. your coins on the exchange. <laughs> Oh, oh, wow. So if you keep your coins on an exchange, now if it's something like CoinExchange, I could see doing that with, you know, the amount you want to trade because they have their own security and they also have, you know, hopefully some degree of insurance for lost funds. But Ether Delta, 
people talk about keeping their coins on the exchange there, they don't have an exchange. Not exactly. I mean, you keep your coins in this wallet that they generate for you, and it's just a private key. The first time you click a phishing link, your 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 uh, funds are going to be drained. Yeah. So you really need to use a wallet. You need to at least use uh, something like MetaMask with an in-page provider where you can sign transactions in the pop-up window. Which, by the way, we're going to be uh, offering something exactly like that. So you'll be able to send tokens. You'll be able to send Ether, receive it, see your history, recover accounts from the recovery phase, and you'll be able to operate on CryptoKitties and Ether Delta and all that stuff in a future oh, nice. version. Um, uh, do you see that um, Blue will ever like create a paper wallet to get their funds offline? I know your wallet's going to be secure, but are you ever thinking about releasing a paper wallet? So like a cold storage thing? Exactly. I mean, I think that would be really cool, but it's a little bit out our wheelhouse right now. That doesn't mean that we'll never do it. But you know, today we're a software company. Um, and a blockchain company, maybe later on, we also become, you know, a, a vertical integration. We also become a hardware company a little bit. It's possible. Okay. Um, and then just to get an idea on the amount of work that it takes to create a project at this caliber, what is your normal work day like? Oh, that's a, that's a funny question. <laughs> um, I have a really bizarre work schedule, and I always have had a bizarre work schedule. Um, but mostly I wake up, I have my coffee, and then I start programming. Or, or I start tending to issues that need to be tended to. Or I start reading white papers or researching uh, code that exists. Right now, I am just knee-deep in the Ethereum client source code. I mean, I, I think I went to bed at 8 a.m., yesterday so it, it's just just staying up all night reading code and i don't know it's pretty crazy i'm probably i'm probably working too much at the moment so i think that's life though i mean especially in a startup and a new kind of company you're gonna spend enormous amounts of time getting things in order and hopefully one day if you've delegated and if you've set up your uh, proper processes and systems enough of that is automated that you can return to an actual you know regular full-time schedule that makes a lot of sense and speaking of scheduling and how much you work are you guys pretty solid on the amount of staff that you have or are you always trying to add new members to the team we're not always trying to add new members but we are always open to anybody that's interested in joining uh you know whether that's a programmer or a marketing person or a designer or a you know, copywriter whoever it is we're always interested in hearing from them. And uh, if the right person comes along when we're not specifically looking for them, we still may take them onto the team anyway because talent is number one. That's the priority. And we'll find something for them to do if they're talented. Exactly. Um, is there a part of your project that you guys are focusing the most on? Interesting question. I mean, we're kind of looking at two or three different high priorities. I mean, number one really is and always has been building a great SDK that everybody else can use. And the only way we're going to build a great SDK is if we're able to test it. So that means we have this prerequisite, which is that we have to have a great wallet to start with. So like I said, the wallet is kind of a test bed for us to build the SDK on. 
Um, it just so happens is also one of the best wallets out there. The so we're focusing the on those two things. Perfect. And then are you very active on Twitter? What do you think about John McAfee's promise about Bitcoin by 2020? What are your comments on that? Uh, I think it's not safe for work. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that guy's uh, he's entertaining. entertaining. Very entertaining guy. You know, he is very, he created security software too. Um, so he yeah. seems like he's a smart guy. Um, if he says it, a lot of people support it. What are your ideas? Do you think Bitcoin's going to be a million dollars in 2020? Um, well, coming from no insight about our project, no insight about Blue, I do think that Bitcoin will greatly, greatly rise in value over the next few years. I'm not going to sit here and name a price. It's not really my you know, exactly. business to call prices. But I, I think the writing is on the wall. And people who don't believe in Bitcoin right now but own it are going to sell every time it goes down in price. But long term, people that really, truly believe in it, I, I think they're going to make a fortune. Do you think Bitcoin, even though it's a little slower than other projects and not as efficient you still think it's going to be considered the gold standard or the the source of value yeah well i mean think about what it means to be the gold standard uh gold is some heavy metal that's hard to secure and inconvenient to transport but it holds its value right and i think that's exactly what bitcoin is it's not for payments uh, it's not very f much for very anything, but to store value and that's okay. And we need that. So we build services on top of this and we build derivatives on top of it. And, you know, uh, in the U S we created this derivative that represented, you know, so many issues of gold ounces and we called that a dollar. I mean, that's how we got started with the U S dollar is how we're going to work with all these other future payment cryptocurrencies and, government issue cryptocurrencies they're all going to need to be backed by something solid and that something is probably going to be a bitcoin because it's the largest uh and longest existing most secured chain out there that that is a great perspective because you probably see the rumors everybody's saying bitcoin cash is um going to it's the considered the real bitcoin that satoshi nakamoto um wanted to create so i'm glad that you still think that there is hope for bitcoin well, you know, Bitcoin Cash is like a payment token or something. I mean, it's not, it still isn't Bitcoin. You're not Bitcoin unless you're Bitcoin. I, I think it's ridiculous, this kind of argument that somehow Bitcoin Cash is Bitcoin. It's like, yeah, maybe uh, this represents the original idea, but the reality is the official Bitcoin chain has its history every block that gets added makes it exponentially harder to crack and that's very important to understand so bitcoin cash doesn't magically get all of this for free it's just a fork it's a payment-based fork this might be a, a little bit personal so you don't need to answer if you don't want to what price did you get into bitcoin at uh yeah, I don't. It's a really hard question, actually, because I didn't buy Bitcoin. Um, I got it through other means, through through mining and all kind of stuff like that. 
I don't really remember. I don't really have an average price, honestly. But I did pretty well. <laughs> yeah, it's so much more than it was even last year. So everybody's yep. doing well if they've invested in the year. Um, what are your thoughts on mining? A lot of people mined and they could get a bunch of Bitcoin. But now the efficiency of mining is going down. Well, I think a lot of people that mine on their personal rigs, you know, on a desktop computer, they're just looking at altcoins. You know, they're they're trying to, you know, maybe they're mining Ethereum right now, actually, with like these graphics cards. You know, I went to uh, I went to upgrade my graphics card recently, and I went to Fry's, which is in the U.S. This is huge electronics store with all kind of computer parts. Their entire graphics card section was completely sold out, and and I asked the guy, you know, did you guys get robbed? And he says, no. This is Ethereum miners. They they are coming and buying up every single graphics card. They'll come and put you know fifty grand on a credit card to wipe out our stock. Uh, so it's putting some pressure on Nvidia and AMD. And they Nvidia actually came out saying, "Don't sell our cards to miners anymore. Stop selling our cards to miners." As if there's some way to know. I I don't know if long term we're going to be doing proof of work style mining because it's actually very bad for the environment. Uh, there's a lot of other flaws with it. It's kind of wasteful, ultimately. Um, but, you know, if you can find an altcoin that's profitable and that's what you want to do, you know, have at it, at least for now. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, I know that Samsung is thinking about getting into the mining industry. Also, Blue, it's great for security. Do you guys ever plan on branching out um, outside of the blockchain with other businesses? If that makes that's a good sense. question. No, I haven't thought about that very much. I mean, I think that that's a good question strategically, but it's definitely intuitively I can tell you that it's not something we're going to do right away. You know, but it, but it may long term be something that makes sense. In long term, everything might be on the blockchain, so you won't have to worry about it too. So um, there's a lot of different factors that we don't know. Well, I could say this: we will have a feature or we're working on it uh, in the coming months that allows users to send ethereum to an email address right so we also have to then track using our current system uh, like the blacklist and all this stuff email addresses not just ethereum wallet addresses and once we're doing that with email addresses and we're analyzing those uh suddenly i think paypal payment security comes into play a little bit and when that comes into play, everything else kind of comes into play. And it's not something I've thought deeply about, so I'm kind of speaking off the cuff here. But I could see that evolving into our sort of, you know, off-chain pr uh, products. That's that's awesome. I wouldn't even have thought of sending Ethereum to an email address. Um, speaking of that, easy to use is the most important thing that gets mass adoption. That's why... Like Facebook is so big, YouTube is so big because it's easy to use. How important is ease of use to your project? Oh, I mean, I think that's, you know, we talk about security being number one, but what you have to understand is that security and convenience and ease of use are kind of one and the same. So, I mean, for example, cash is extremely easy to use. You just hand it to somebody, but it is the least secure way to do your transactions, right? So, if you want to make something easy to use, you can, but you might be opening up users to risks. And that's why you've got to really nail the security part first. So 
my priority number one is security, but that's only because my priority number two is ease of use. That's how we arrive there, right? Is you have to have security if you want ease of use. Yeah, because people are going to be more mad if it's easy to use, but they lose their tokens rather than it being a little bit more complicated and keeping all their tokens. Yeah, I mean, I think as long as people feel safe, you know, you can have a really simplistic UI that's got two buttons on it and everything just works. Uh, but if it's not secured at all, then what have you really built? You know, nothing of value. So that's that's why we prioritize it this way. It's not because, you know, I love security. It's my favorite thing. It's because I love convenience and I love ease of use. And that's my favorite thing. And that's just how you arrive there. Um, what are your thoughts on banks? Um, I know banks are one of the biggest companies that are kind of, iffy about blockchain technology because it's kind of messing with them losing them business what do you think um banks are going to be doing in the future to try and hinder the progress in mass adoption of blockchain i'm not convinced that banks can't benefit from the blockchain uh bankers are pretty clever at finding a way to make money off of just about everything i mean think about credit you know, blockchain right now, who's offering credit on the chain that's not a, a scam artist? Really nobody. So the banks have a role there. There's still such a thing as interest. It doesn't matter if they have their money in a vault or if they have it on the chain. There's a lot of services that, that banks can still offer, that they can still profit from. They could still nickel and dime you every time, you know, you do a purchase. So I, I think it's really about adoption for them. They're not necessarily trying to fight back against it. Um, but it does level the playing field a little bit in that uh, you don't necessarily have to use a bank anymore to do transactions over the internet. And that's that's a good step. But you know this isn't going to kill the banks. They're, they're just going to adapt. They always do. Um, do you think blockchain right now is supposed to be decentralized? That's the biggest thing. Do you think that over time it's going to get more and more centralized because um, some few wealthy people are going to be buying up the majority of the space? Well, I think that no matter how centralized something gets, there's still the same number of people in the world, if that makes sense. So real decentralized solutions is a direct relationship with each user contributes a little bit to the overall structure of the software or of the system. So something becomes super extremely centralized, people will have their alternative. And, and I think that's just going to all be about supply and demand. You know, how much demand is there for a decentralized messaging platform versus how much demand is there for a decentralized bank? I mean, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but it's just like people will always have the option of having their decentralized version of whatever it is. And as people, you know, gain wealth in these large institutions gain the majority of Bitcoin, for example, that doesn't necessarily make it centralized. It just makes them rich, right? It's still a decentralized system. I mean, I guess they can buy all the mining power in the world, but, you know, I looked at some stats recently, um, you know, within 10 years, it's going to take more energy than exists on the entire planet and made every year just to do a 51% attack on the, the blockchain on Bitcoin. So 
you can have all the money in the world and you still can't fight encryption. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That was basically what I was saying was about mining because a lot of, you know, they're having mining factories now. Yeah. All right, Altcoin Buzz, this was Uni Banker. Thank you so much for being on our show with us today. Um, I hope you had a good time. We really look forward to seeing you guys back on our show. Is there any shout-outs you wanted to make before we close? Well, shout-out to my team and our community. Uh, thanks to everybody at Altcoin Buzz for putting this together, and uh, I hope we do it again. It was great. Yeah, be sure to go follow the Blue Project on Twitter. Also look at their white page and, you know, let's make this future a brighter place. Everybody's worried about scams. Blue is the solution. So let's get it, you guys.